you are invited as we delve into the unhinged. Get out of the grave, Alan. The grotesque. My and the bizarre. Speaking, what do you want? Whether you asked for it or not, this is Late Night Psychorama. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Late Night Psychorama, where you will get two movies that have nothing to do with each other, a la the glory days of the drive-in. There will be spoilers, so if you do not want the movie spoiled, stop this. Stop this madness. Go find the movies, watch them, and then come back and listen to us ramble about them. I'm Joe. I'm Ryan. I'm Andrew. Tonight, we are doing Sugar Hill. Blood is red. Voodoo is blue. Sugar is sweet. Revenge is sweeter. Meet Sugar Hill. Not a place, but a brand new face. The foxiest, sexiest, deadliest chicken town. The mob took Sugar's man away, and now she's gonna make them pay. I want them dead! With a voodoo priestess called Mama Matrace, and Baron Samney too, and an army of undead behind her, there's nothing that Sugar can't do. The mob has never seen anything like Sugar Hill and her zombie hitmen. Sugar Hill from American International, rated PG, parental guidance. And the oily maniac. Tonight we are joined by Liam O'Donnell, Cinepunks.com, Rough Cut Fan Club, Horror Business Podcast, recent upgrader of The Fog to Upper Tier Carpenter from Low Tier Carpenter. (laughs) (laughs) Hey Liam, thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks for having me. You got anything cool going on at the moment, or is it business as usual in your world? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, of with a podcast, it's all the usual, but, you know, the Cinepunks is, like, the whole network. We have a few, like, new things that just came online. Um, in fact, there's the, I don't know if you guys ever listen to that podcast, The Horror Show, but uh, Joe from that show has a music podcast called uh, Boogs B-Sides, and he's just been doing it on SoundCloud. It wasn't really available in any podcatchers. So he just moved to the network, and uh, I'm pretty stoked on that. And uh, we have a couple other new things I, I can't really talk about yet. But oh. uh, right, now, right now for Rough Cut, we, uh, we've been doing the Choose Your Own Adventure. Basically, all of our designs are like real limited. So if it runs out, it runs out, and that's sort of the end of it. But occasionally we try to do these uh, opportunities for people to vote on their, what they would like us to reprint. And then we do like the same design but a new colorway, and then we match it with something else. So that voting is still going on right now. Weirdly, Evil Dead is in the lead, which I did not picture happening. But I think it's, there's 20 options. 
So I think like spread out over twenty options, like no one can really, you know what I mean? Like no one knows what's in the lead, so they're just voting for their favorite. So they don't know like, oh man, like uh, for example, Phantom of the Paradise is like two off. You know, it's like if if you had voted for Phantom, we would have been somewhere. But you voted for Coffee, <laughs> and Coffee only has ten votes, so you wasted your vote. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, that's part of the, it's part of the fun, you know. And don't be wrong, like I wish I wish there were more votes for Coffee because I like that shirt. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Oh, the beauty of democracy. The, the uh, it, I think that I have entirely replaced my wardrobe with just shirts from Rough Cut. <laughs> present, present one I'm wearing excluded. But I, I don't know how that happened. I just turned from a person that wore band shirts all the time to now I turn into a person that exclusively wears your brand all the time. <laughs> I mean, if I was if I was a better uh, if I was less of a pack rat, I too would have replaced. Since I keep a, I keep one for me to wear of every shirt we do, and yet I still continue <laughs> to buy other shirts. Why? For what possible reason? I don't need all these t-shirts, but but yet I have them. Mm. I just have trouble saying no to t-shirts, and I have trouble not staining t-shirts and so i find myself like <laughs> cycling through shirts and but then i can't get rid of a sh- even though the shirt has a stain on it i'm embarrassed i don't want to get rid of it so i hold on to it anyway and it's a whole it's a whole thing i have a closet full of uh shirts that don't fit because i'll find cool shirts and be like i'll buy them a size larger to motivate me to work out so i can fit into it one day so it's just uh, i have a closet full of shirts i probably know never fit into that'll look cool on me one day <laughs> Has anybody seen anything that they want to talk about for a couple minutes before we get into it? You mean other than the end of the world? <laughs> other than. <laughs> okay. Uh, I watched a Vinegar Syndrome release called Rad. Um, never really heard of it. It's an interesting BMX, <laughs> like <laughs> 80s nostalgia movie. Uh, it was. It's definitely for people who enjoy BMX or people who just like laughing at movies about BMX. I don't know, but it was uh it was definitely an interesting wild ride. How did you end up with that? Um it was on Vinegar Syndrome's uh website and I was just like, no, I'll buy that. And so I did I had no right. just like a blind like a blind purchase. No, I'll buy that. Like no, this can't be on this website. I need to take it down from here. Yeah. <laughs> It's like no, 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 no brain. Don't think about this. Just buy it. <laughs> I mean, I also bought it, but I have fond memories of that film. So. Yeah. Okay. I, I I might not like it. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying my memory is that it's good. <laughs> I that I lived in a house, a really wild punk house that did just a million shows in the living room, and but for some reason that was one of two VHS tapes we owned, and it was on. <laughs> all the time like when bands would stay they would just be on and i could totally see that we did. just being in the background somewhere <laughs> you know all the time yeah i don't think i've ever sat down and watched it in its entirety i think i just have this like a uh, memory haze version of it where it was all served to me out of sequence yeah i mean it, that's kind of the movie itself like you can put that movie in any order and it would probably just be around the same Liam, you seen anything recently that was cool? There are two things I watched recently that were not specifically for podcasts. One was uh, the documentary Scream, comma Queen uh, oh. about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Have you all seen this? I have not. No, I've been wanting yeah. to. It's in my queue. Yeah, I know of it, but I have not watched. 
big, big, big recommend on that one. I, I've been a Freddy's Revenge defender for a while. I think it's underrated in general. But the documentary is less about the Freddy's Revenge worship and more just about Mark Patton's experience being in the film. Mm-hmm. And and really, it's a story about the, the uh, dude who wrote the script kind of gaslighting Mark and the rest of the world, pretending like, no, there's no gay subtext. I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's nothing there at all. And how like how dehumanizing it was for Mark. Because this dude basically claimed for a long time that if, if the movie seemed to have any um, gay subtext, that was because of Mark. That Mark, you know, brought his own uh, person to the film and possibly ruined the film. And, you know, that was haunting for him, and that was really hard for him. Um, but the movie isn't all that resentment. It's also a lot of like, people talking about how important the movie was to them and how it was, like, some of the f- the first representation that they had. And, and other people who were in the movie kind of, like, not faking the funk, you know? Like, a lot of people for a long time were like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. But, like, you know, Robert Ingram was like, oh, yeah, I do. It was gay. Come on. I, I'm, basically sedu- I'm basically seducing him in that movie. I mean, that's what it's about. And other people in the movie, like, yeah, when I read the script, that's what I thought. I, I figured, oh, cool, this is a gay horror movie, you know? So <laughs> it's it's just nice to hear people just say it because for so long it's like the audience started to say it, like, wow, it seems like there's a lot of this going on, both positively and negatively, and the people, the talking heads talking about the movie, no, 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 that's not. You, you're just putting that. That's not in there. That's not in there. Joe, you seen anything? No, I got nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, then have I got a bombshell to drop on your fucking heads? I watched a lot. I watched uh, Horror Noir, which I encourage everybody to look mm-hmm. at. I watched The Lodge, which was which interesting, very dark uh, in a way I didn't expect. I watched a few other things, but then I did something particularly, particularly uh, masochistic, and I sat down and watched the trilogy that Rob Zombie made. House of a Thousand Corpses, <laughs> Devil's Rejects, and Three from Hell. Oh, wow. I didn't know there was a third one. There's a third one. Yeah, it dropped at the very end of last year. Before you go any further, <laughs> can I just ask why? <laughs> well, Joe, I'm glad you asked because I was in a place of self deprecation and self loathing and darkness. And I felt like I needed something to wake me the fuck up. <laughs> uh, and I did that. That was the thing I settled on. And, and did, think, did it wake you up? Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, I walked away from it liking House of a Thousand Corpses a lot more than uh, I've ever liked. And when I was in high school, I really liked Devil's Rejects. I think that I would never say that now. I think Rob Zombie makes a lot of cool decisions, but then makes a lot of poor decisions. And uh, three, three from Hell was was one of those where the whole movie almost seemed like a poor decision, but there were cool nuggets floating around. He was just playing with them wrong. So let let be said here is that I think we are all still in the same position about Rob Zombie that we were. Hey, hey, hey! I like Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem's dope. I really like that. I, I mean, it obviously fall like it's so. Um... Rob Zombie trying to do Fulci, and I think that bummed a lot of people out because they're like, "Well, you're n- you, sir, are no Fulci," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, he's no, f- I get it, he's not, it's not that, <laughs> but it's very good, you know what I mean? It's 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 like uh, you know, 
Whatever. I was about to make a music reference. That's not this podcast. The point is, <laughs> it doesn't matter that he falls short of the beyond. It's still very fun, uh, interesting, nightmarish. It, it, it succeeds in a lot of ways that I think his other movies do not. Yeah, that movie's dope. Thanks for bringing that up. I've never bothered with it, but I'll give it a whirl. I'll see what happens. In our family, I imagine you 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 might find some interest in it, and then maybe Andrew would watch it and be like, "What the fuck's wrong with Ryan?" <laughs> yeah, no, I'll give it a sh- I'll give it a watch though for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, steer clear of three from hell. That is new metal bullshit. <laughs> All right, well, Joe, tell us about Sugar Hill. Diana Hill, sugar to her friends, loses her boyfriend when he is tamely beaten to death by a local crime syndicate for refusing to sell his nightclub. Diana pays a visit to voodoo queen Mama Matrace, and they summon Baron Somdi, who in turn loans out his undead legions to settle the score. We got this movie. We got, we got sugar. Sugar is Diana Hill. She's really cool. I guess she loves her husband. Don't really know about that. But he's kind of wiped out by some uh, local heavies who are just trying to edge in on this on this uh, nightclub. And after that, the nightclub is gone from the picture, and Diana Sugar Hill turns to the local voodoo priestess and conjures Baron Samdi. What we already said who unleashes a form of, you know, zombies to one by one go through all of the villains of the movie. Now, these zombies are the spirits of slaves from Guinea uh, that are armed with machetes. So it's kind of imagery imagery of, uh, you know, civil uprising and slave uprising uh, and, you know, slave death. And those are the spirits conjured to exact revenge. And we get all sorts of revenge from haunted chicken legs and machete staples to the wall we get uh, a guy buried in thing with then coffin full of snakes and uh we get a man dying in quicksand as the climax and lady being sold off in trade for baron samdi that was in a clever little uh loophole to the pact that uh, Sugar had to make with Baron Samdi to get this power in the first place. There's also a guy gets fed to pigs, which is really cool. Now, all the while, this happens with maybe an endless slew of epic (laughs) one-liners. And that's it. Man, Mostly from Sugar. (laughs) All from Sugar. Yes, thank you. Hmm. I can only think of one off the top of my head for whatever reason. It's like, hope they don't mind white trash when he, when he she feeds uh, a guy to the pigs. I thought that was pretty great. Hey, that's the thing that I want to point out now, and it's probably worth doing. And uh, in a weird way, is white trash is probably a bad thing to say, right? And I know we've said it here about Rob Zombie and shit, but the, the thought being that if you say, if you call it white trash, then you're implying that there can be other trash and other trash isn't white. Now I've not I don't really hear anybody say that, but I hear people use that word and it just always left me scratching my head. Is that a real logic or am I just tripping? I've never heard that logic before, but I mean I mean the- it's just the inverse of uh of the uh man, I don't even want to say it, but uh when you would when you would uh re- replace the the n of the n word with a w to refer to uh 
to uh, white people you felt were acting too much like black people. It's right. the same logic with white trash, right? Like that you're suggesting like, well, they're trash, but they're white trash. So, you yeah, know, that's that, the white kind. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it is there is a certain logic there. However, I do think the the actual teeth of that comment are, are long since gone. You know what I mean? Like uh, like when people say rule of thumb, I know that they, they don't probably actually beat their wife with something. You know, it's just what they've learned right. to say. I think it's lost some of that, but but I, I don't think it's something we should rely on. I mean, don't be wrong. Sugar can call anyone anything she wants. She's got an army as well. Yes. So if <laughs> yes. she wants to say it, if she wants to say cracker, I'm okay. Let her say whatever she wants. But, uh, but I do think yeah, I do think it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a not great term to use. Even if you don't mean it in in the race suggestion, it's also just right. kind of a weird elitist thing to say about people. Like, you know, I, mm. I, I don't even feel comfortable with redneck and redneck is most accepted by people who qualify for the term they kind of love it but i'm still like yeah i don't like referring to groups of people everyone is on their own individual way enough of an asshole i don't really need to group them too hard unless unless you know they're juggalos because that's a different thing <laughs> and, and liam lest lest we not forget shorts guys <laughs> i love shorts <laughs> Regardless, but, she says lots of mean things to uh, various people that she doesn't directly murder, but unleashes uh, these zombies on um, the zombies, which it's interesting because uh, there's a lot of suggestion in the film about them being slaves, though technically Baron Zomdi specifically says slaves and masters, because I guess there was some sort of massacre in the area. So he makes it really clear that that in theory, everyone, regardless of their position, however, when we see these folks, they're all black folks. So I, you know, like there's no, whenever they unleash the zombies, they're never any white zombies. Ah, wait, <laughs> um, there's never he, any white zombies. Well, you know that, what I mean? Pretty, like, it's weird. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that. Uh, when I s watched it, I, I couldn't figure out how to digest that line. Uh, partly for, for two reasons is he, there is a quote I did write down. I've just been searching for it the whole time and got sidetracked. Uh, he plays with, He's he's a playful character who likes to use inverse of statement, and right. uh, that happens a lot in the one-liners. It's written down. I just can't fucking find it. Uh, where does the power come from? The living among the dead. Who could use the power? The dead among the living. He is a yeah. He's a loa, which is a. It's not a god. It's a spirit. And from what I understand, he's a particularly playful trickster one that really likes to smoke and drink rum. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I, I was wondering if maybe that was some sort of poetic allegory to, to refer to those slaves as masters or those spirits, those dead people as masters. It's like they weren't slaves. They were masters. They were, they were genocided. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that, that might be what was going on. I just thought it was strange because I noticed a line and then I was like, well, yeah, what and then there's this? no white people. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The, the, what did we think of the design of these things? Like, like covered in cobwebs with weird, weird eyes. Yeah. I loved it. Love it. <laughs> it was pretty neat. I was trying to figure it, out what was on top of their eyes. It made them look like uh, like fly people or something. <laughs> so much well, of this movie is very Halloween <laughs> in its tone, which I love. Yeah. I believe it was shot in Houston, and Houston just, I didn't realize, looked that... Um, 
exotic. I thought Houston was just a little more just generic Texas. I didn't know it looked more like New Orleans or something or like Louisiana. So it kind of gives it a like a an exotic taste. And then the lighting they have on there is super Halloweeny, and the two just kind of create a haunted house ride. Liam, what do you think of the makeup? I really like it. I think it's probably the only way to do these particular zombies to have it make sense. Like, you can't, you can't have dead folks that old dripping with gore. Like the gore is gone; it's not a thing anymore. So having them look more not mummified, but just like ancient that way was really cool, and it's still haunting, and it really. Um, uh, you know, the the point of this is really to connect, it seems to me at least, to connect the pain of this current sort of situation of these these uh, white criminals kind of uh, lording it over her community with the pain of these dead slaves in the past and then uh, combining that with the voodoo. And so, like, there's something about the performance of and makeup of these particular zombies that works for that really well uh, and is honestly like it, it somehow walks that line between corny and upsetting like when i first see them i'm like hey that's funny but by the end of the movie i'm like yeah i'm kind of freaked out actually they kind of creep me out a little bit <laughs> yeah it's haunting and and the way they move is so slow it's like it is like fulci realm ghost zombie like apparition zombie thing they just kind of inch and uh it's an unsettling sight even though it's it's kind of nice and simple looking it's yeah. nice in its simplicity I remember there was like one particular scene that was very effective where uh, one of the gang members was getting a massage and then all these like decrepit looking fingers start touching his back. And um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty creepy and that kind of like grossed me out a little bit. Well, since we're, we're talking about like cool shots in the movie, I thought it was interesting that this is... Uh, the director Paul Meslansky's it's his only directorial credit yeah hmm. it is pretty but, interesting but you would think I mean it's because this movie has a lot of style to it I would have thought that you know you would have more from the guy I mean he has a lot of cool production credits like Raw Meat and Castle of the Living Dead and Race with the Devil but, and the and uh, I'm sorry, it's just too funny to say. Uh, God damn it. He has the uh, Police Academy series. Well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, that's it's, it's funny to a wreck along those. <laughs> but just what? Yeah, I, I, I kind of wonder, like, why why only this one? Why Why wasn't, why didn't he do more? Or if he never wanted to direct it in the first place, maybe? Maybe it was a situation where he got saddled with it somehow? Right. Well, it's it's interesting, because it's a, an AIP movie, and uh, it, it, the American International Pictures, Blackula, Scream, Blackula, Scream, JD's Revenge, Abbey, Regardless, they just were a studio that was hemorrhaging money that struck gold on Blackula and just started making black exploitation movies. Are you all familiar with AIP? Or I've watched a few movies, um, but no, I didn't. I didn't even realize this one was an AIP movie. I kind of yeah. like don't even keep track. Like at a certain point, from a lot of those '70s studios, I'm always kind of like, 
not sure what it is, but uh, I remember going to one night at Mahoning. They had like an AIP night. Uh, oh. And, and that was fun. There was a lot of interesting stuff that played. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I just know that they put out a lot of my favorite sort of uh, kind of trashy but kind of good stuff was AIP. But then I know some stuff they put out I also have not enjoyed. So it's kind of a little bit of a mixed bag, I guess. Yeah, all stu- no studio is going to be perfect, right? Yeah. Joe, you, they have you a lot of good ones. Yeah, I mean, they have the, all the uh, the Corman Poe movies are, are AIP. Um, AIP handled the U.S. releases of a lot of the uh, the early Bava movies. There's a lot that they did. And like Liam said, it's sort of like, you know, some are like, ooh, yay. And then other ones, you're kind of like, ooh, no, that's not good. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate this movie partly because um the combo i think of uh horror with black exploitation is done in a way that like enhances the storyline it's not just a gimmick you know like as much as i love blackula and even more so scream blackula scream uh you can hit a wall with that with something like blackenstein which is like just <laughs> impossible for me to get through like i just i can't even with it but with a movie like this it like it, it, even though it's it's playing a little bit with some stereotypes, it, it it's interesting because it's a, in a way like technically it's a negative portrayal in the sense that voodoo is being used to murder people, but in the sense that like you kind of are rooting for Sugar Hill the whole time, um, it's also kind of a positive portrayal of voodoo, which is not really that common in uh, in a lot of films. So I kind of like that aspect of it, uh, especially the idea that voodoo. Uh, and, and by by association, you know the our, the past of these folks and their cultural heritage could actually be a weapon that would be useful uh, in, in in their lives. You know, like totally. Granted, granted, it's not that political. I mean, these are just gangsters, and she wants to get revenge. But it's not not political. You can't have this context and have it not have any association. Would I have liked it more if it was about? getting the police yeah i would have liked that more but still it's it's really good yeah this movie is there is a testament or like a benchmark uh in history with this movie is i believe it's the first this is the first leading black woman in a horror movie unless you include pam greer from scream blackula scream as the protagonist which i I don't i think that's a little more difficult in that movie because there are some more characters in that movie outside of that and that's that's political as fuck it might not have been trying yeah. to make a political statement but it, it did that yeah i mean at that point representation is is kind of the political statement in and of itself to to have that variety and and really you know asking audiences to kind of follow along with this character who is you know she's getting revenge it, it, it's funny because this kind of horror movie really only works for me if i find that character compelling you know mm, like yeah. the horror movie that's like the revenge horror movie tends to not be my favorite uh and i but, spit on your grave well okay so that's uh, i i separate rape revenge from okay the the righteous cause horror movie you know like the idea of like uh, the monster's going to kill a bunch of people that you don't like anyway, so you're basically rooting for the monster or the killer or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I don't actually love those as much as I like the ones where I'm rooting for the victim, and I want the victim to get away. Uh, yeah. It, 
unless the person whose cause it is I find particularly compelling. And in this case, you know, there's no suspense. I, I don't think. The movie probably wouldn't work if Sugar failed. The movie's kind of, from the beginning, I'm like, Oh, she's going to kill all the people she doesn't like. Great. Like, I just <laughs> assume that's what's going to happen. There's no tension. There's no right. fear because I want them to get killed. In a, in a sense, there shouldn't be any horror. And yet, it's a horror film that I really enjoy. And I I think it's because she's so compelling as a character. The entire time I was watching this, I, th- I kind of thought that there was going to be a point where she would have to, you know, pay back her debt or something was going to kind of not go her way or she'd have to pay for it in skin or something like that. But in the end, it's like Baron Samdi is, was a pretty understanding guy, you know, and he just kind of was extremely helpful throughout the whole movie. And then there's even a part where he was, he, he, I guess he made up some storyline that he was with the, with her because he was like the landscaper and he was doing landscaping. I thought that was interesting. I'm like, he's taking a, taking a break from being, Baron Zombie to do some yard work, but that's yeah. The and in the end, well, like she just basically gets away with it, gets gets her revenge and gets away with it. Well, there's the whole uh, there's a whole trope right of playing up a character to fool the man, you know. Mm-hmm. And Baron Zombie does that this whole movie in ways that have to be intelligent and 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 intentional. That every time he's in a, he's always really up in the oh no sir I don't know. and he's always doing something unassuming and uh, until he shows you what his intention is mm-hmm. he's always just ready to like you know basically eat shit but that's oh that's that part where, that's that part when he does the taxi driver bit and, oh, yeah. and lures the one guy out to the woods the bartender yeah, yeah, yeah. bit it, oh okay. yeah yeah he's 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 a he's a cool fucking character I, I I will say that, that he is the source of the only kind of awkward moment for me. And uh, they talked about this a little bit in Har Noir, if you guys saw that. But, uh, yeah, as much as it's kind of like a cool trick in a way that uh, Sugar gets out of whatever, um, having him sort of walk off with this uh, uh, white woman over his arm is both A, rapey, uh, in a very awkward way, and be a terrible stereotype of the black man who who desires white flesh. And I believe the words. Moments... I'm ahead. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I believe the go words ahead. are uh, "black man lusting after white women," and that's yeah, exactly. that's from Robin Robin Means Coleman, the PhD who wrote mm. Horror Noir. Interesting. Yeah, it's not. It's funny because the rest of the movie. I think it's highlighted because the rest of the movie is so satisfying. It would be so easy for a movie like this to have a bunch of other awkward, uh, insensitive moments, whatever, whatever. But I think a lot of it actually really works. And then that one moment, it doesn't, it by no means ruins the movie for me mm. or anything that extreme. But it, it is like, oh, I don't like this. Could have done without what I want right now. Yeah. Could have did without that. He does so say a- that he prefer he he would have rather taken sugar True. yeah but i guess that doesn't really yeah change anything honestly i mean i hate to say it but uh even though in theory it would be more severe if he took her soul instead of it being so obvious that she's going to be his willing or unwilling lover if they had made it some sort of like spiritual something uh that would have been less awkward honestly but uh but instead it's like very much like this lust thing that is in that moment it may be uncomfortable it may be a little bit uncomfortable (laughs) joe what do you think of that 
I was definitely definitely had the rapey vibe, but I mean, uh, I don't know what else <laughs> I could really add that hasn't been said. I mean, it's definitely uh, you know a, a slightly uncomfortable moment, but you know it doesn't doesn't damper the film for me at all. Not gonna lie, so I was like pumping my fist and saying. Like, yeah, take that white woman. No, I didn't say that, but like, <laughs> I kind of did. I mean, it was kind of, I thought it was a cool ending, but yeah, I get where you guys are coming from. Yeah, she is a, she is a piece of shit. So there's that. And yeah, I think oh, that's actually kind of what does it for me, where, like, where I kind of am like, well, nah. Also, <laughs> uh, non, non, non consent is clearly present. So I, I'm not going to argue that, but perhaps we are mapping onto the movie something more sinister that we see elsewhere more strongly particularly in these genres or in the you know our fucking lives with our lady friends getting fucking raped and like assaulted all the time so uh i i don't know if the movie i i wondered so i was wondering the whole time from hearing that quote is was the movie's intention to do that or was the movie taking the tone of the rest of the movie as just being kind of fun and maybe they were swinging at uh he takes her soul and she's just stuck with him forever i know that logic dictates otherwise but sometimes the logic of movies don't have the logic that uh you know we as viewers have right like this movie is a pretty it's kind of a farce like it's it's a very light-hearted revenge horror movie old for most most of the way through and i i just wonder i'm i don't mean to be devil's advocate because i do understand that associating the image of the man like almost like a cartoon just kind of salivating over taking this woman away is is a thing and i think the image that it conjures is problematic so but i think was that the movie's intention I think it's only an issue because of how they introduce the character. Like, it's this is the sort of thing you could take care of by just eliminating like three or four lines. But the fact that when we meet him, one of the things we need to know is that he has many wives. And as soon as he meets <laughs> Sugar, he, it's really clear what his intentions are. It's not that he, you know, like the Christian devil wants to corrupt her pure soul. He wants that ass. It's like <laughs> that's the whole thing. Yeah. You know? Uh, now, 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 is it? And he's pretty things? honest about it too. He's, yeah. he's not. He's not insincere. And she, she responds equally. Is like, no, no, yeah, I know, but uh, you gotta wait. I, <laughs> or I do mean, what you I tell want, you. You I'm want picking up what you're putting down. You want that. You want that character to have some comeuppance. And it would. It wouldn't make sense for her to get off because they've gone out of their way the whole movie to make her seem bad. But it's just having that be the thing i'm sure it made sense at the time and it was like yeah no of course uh and and honestly it's in a sense the only way they make it really clear if she didn't have that woman there was going to be a price to pay you know and so i get all that but it's i think in hindsight like it would have been better if there was some other option to even the way they portrayed it like to have even just him haul her over his shoulder that way really is a very viscerally uh, sort of sexual image and the way he handles it and all of that. It's it just yeah. to me felt like okay. I think they're making a statement right here. And uh, again, I, it's not horrible. It's not like the worst thing ever. It just was like uh, it's the only thing. I, I I think anyone who has watched a bunch of black exploitation films, it's sort of the same as watching horror or any other genre. You know, these are these are people making films on the edge, and sometimes the decisions they make out there on the edge are not the decisions I would have made. And so, as many as there are movies that I love, there are movies in this in this 
both of these genres that I think, oh, that was that's not what I would have done, actually. Uh, I don't know. So on the scale of like its contemporaries, it's really not that bad. It's more, I think the rest of the movie is so good that I just wish that one little moment was tweaked just a little bit. And it would be, I don't know, uh, 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 very high up on my list of, of, of movies. On a related note, Sugar's hair yeah. in the movie. Mm. Is there some kind of message going on there? Where, where it's like going from like Afro to all. Whenever she, yeah, whenever she's dealing with like normal people in the real world, her hair is straightened. And then when she's out, you know, getting revenge with the zombies, her hair is up in an Afro style. I, I, I think, and I'm just, I'm, I'm grasping here, but we'll work with me. I think in, um, 1974 was the release of this movie. I don't know if they're working on it in 1973, but I think the people working on it knew that us three would eventually need something to connect the arbitrarily chosen movies together and then opted (laughs) to make that decision (laughs) and then found it. And now, now we have our connection of the night, but Actually, I think there is a very intentional thing there. I think a lot of that is sex appeal to for, towards white audiences and then blackifying her as a character when she is then being the badass all the time. And I could be really mistaken there, but I, I think that might play into it. No, I mean, there was a lot of politics around hair at the time and a lot of uh, discussion around hair. And so choosing to have her look one way in one scene and look a different way in another scene has to be intentional. It can't be arbitrary, whether to what extent they thought it through beyond just she looks, you know, more. I mean, I also think with the Afro, she looks more imposing. She she really, in everything she does when she's about to unleash those zombies, she wants to look tough. She gets a certain look on her face. She's like, her smile is menacing. You know, it's so funny to see her with the police officer that she likes. She acts so timid with him in a way, like charming, <laughs> but very like, oh, you know, no big deal. And I'm like, ah, he has no idea, you know, like the, <laughs> who you are. And it's one of the appeals of the film for me, you know, just how, that how she plays up those tif- different role, those different aspects <clears throat> of the character. Glad you brought him up. Can we? It, can anybody confirm that that narrative just disintegrates? Yeah, or was so. I? Or did I miss something? Did did it just fade away before the movie he ended? Broke his leg. Yeah, doctors couldn't figure out figure it that, out, and that's <laughs> <laughs> cops don't do work on a broken leg, man. Everybody knows that. That is true. We should probably break more cop legs. <laughs> yeah, but uh, after that, after the hospital visit, he um, just goes home. It's yeah. the end. Yep, that's it. Just tidied it up. End of that little, you know, side plot. Honestly, I don't know what the end game to that would have been anyway. So, I mean, it almost seems like they thought this character was kind of unnecessary. Let's just get rid of him. Yeah. (laughs) Ryan, would you like to explain the the Samuel Arkoff formula? All right. so, So check it. Samuel Arkoff, right, was producer on this movie. He worked for AIP. Uh uh, they, they they bring his name up a few times in the movie version of Har Noir. I, I don't know about the book, uh, but I, th- I think he was he was he was top dog. 
you know, working for a studio. Him him and James Nicholson. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, working for a studio that wasn't making much money until this phenomena of finally making movies for black audiences with black people in them, and he was able to turn a penny. Anyway, in the 80s, Samuel Arkov was on, like, a TV program and uh, unpacked this, like, acronym theory for his name called the Arkov Formula, which meant that uh, his movies all had to have action. They needed to be exciting, have entertaining drama. They then needed to also have revolution some sort of novel or controversial theme and idea. They also needed killing. Um, you know, fair bit of violence. And, uh, you know, they had to be oratory in that characters had to have monologues or one-liners. There had to be fantasy. Fantasies that are uh, acted out but can be common to an audience. And then there needed to be fornication. Sex appeal for young adults. <laughs> I guess he had that theory behind making his movies, which it seems seems absolutely uh, bizarre that someone would turn their last name into an acronym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see him explaining that to a group of people and everyone rolling their eyes, just being like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I can see him being coked up while doing it. <laughs> just to mention it, since it didn't come up, but uh, Marky Bay, who played Sugar, Philadelphia's own. Oh yeah, yeah, I did see what? that. What? Really? Did not yep. know that. Mm-hmm. Yep, she's born in Philly. Fuck yeah! All right, so let's go around, starting with Liam. Thumbs up. Oh yeah, I think this is great. I think it's underrated. <clears throat> I would, uh, I'd honestly watch it again in a couple weeks. It's 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 a it's a fave. Like I said, it's not very scary i guess uh, but it is a lot of fun and i find myself getting stoked on it uh every time i watch it ryan certainly a thumbs up from me the only uh the only thing i'd, I'd say is that the movie is it's not suspenseful it's not upsettingly so but it's just not suspenseful and i think that plagues a lot of the that the you know, black exploitation genre in those early years that way but it just it isn't suspenseful, so it's great for so many reasons. But that it would, if you need something suspenseful, or if you're gonna not like something if it's not suspenseful, then maybe it's not for you. But thumbs up from me, Andrew. Um, yeah, this movie gets a, a, a big thumbs up from me. Uh, I was on board just from the very beginning of that weird ritual with supernatural voodoo woman playing in the background even though that turned out to just be some club performance i was just like fuck yeah when that movie started it was it was amazing and it didn't disappoint it's at a all. great song that's the first note that i had in our notes and i didn't even mention it that song slaps <laughs> yeah it's, it's a so it's a great song that that's we need to come up with the greatest hits of all the best songs for movies we've covered and just do a little compilation. Yeah, that's that's one was definitely on there. But yeah, cool. thumbs up. Uh, Joe. And thumbs up. I I um like I said, like it, it has a very Halloween vibe to me, which which I love. And uh it's actually like the like the atmospheric stuff is what I really enjoy the most about it. Like when um, when they go uh, first to uh, call upon Baron Somdi and we see the zombies for the first time, like that whole sequence is wonderful to me. It actually kind of reminds me of Evil Dead 
I don't know if if that's ever been said by anyone or if anybody else sees that, but I kind of it feels very Evil Dead to me. I don't mm. know why. It's like with the smoke in the woods and all that. Yeah, the smoke in the woods, like some of the camera angles used for when the zombies are coming out of the mm. ground. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, Joe. And we will be back after this word from our network. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Polio-stricken Shang Young finds himself mixed up in a dispute between an old friend and criminals looking to strong-arm him out of his business. His friend charges him with watching over his daughter and gives him a spell to compensate for Shang's handicap. A spell that will turn Shang into an almost invincible oil monster. Right on. Well... I guess we'll talk right about up top, I'm just going to say my favorite thing about this is that he has to get oil on himself to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what type of oil. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like Joe said, uh, we get Danny Lee uh, as the protagonist in this character who is uh, handy capable. And um, he is given a spell uh, that turns him into this oily monster. Um, he... Uh, uses this this power to turn him into an oil monster by uh getting revenge on pretty much anyone who has wronged anyone in the movie i guess um we see a lot of rape a lot of rape and uh in the end uh he has his love interest killed uh or he doesn't have them her killed but she ends up being killed and uh and he just continues on his path of being a monster and eventually can't control himself and dies. Sorry, I kind of skipped a lot of stuff there, but that's pretty much what I remember. I, I don't blame you for skipping anything because it is massively difficult to unpack anything from, uh, well, not anything, but a lot of 70s and 80s movies of the horror genre from a culture that we know nothing about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for giving me that. No, no, totally. Any <laughs> Shaw Brothers? We we say it all the time. We will, Liam. Liam, do you ever sit down and watch a Shaw Brothers movie and say and think to yourself, "I have no idea what's going on until the movie's over." And it's like now that I've seen everything, I can kind of unpack it. But at first, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, we covered a uh, uh, Jackie Chan. Well, I say Jackie Chan like he's a major character. He's like a very small part in it, but it's like an awkward sex comedy and. Um, <laughs> None of the things in the movie that are meant to be jokes make sense to to me. So mm-hmm. it's like I'm already a little distance trying to absorb Jackie Chan as a person who has sex, let alone, <laughs> um, <laughs> let alone like uh, trying to absorb what these jokes are or what the movie's about. And it's like it's also a weird anthology where there's one major story that breaks off into three smaller stories. And it doesn't, it's crazy. It's a crazy movie. What is it called? 
uh, I believe it's called Happy Family, something like that. <laughs> he refers to it as his pornographic film, though uh, it's just because he has a sex scene in it. He's in a film that's much more pornographic uh, that's even more upsetting. I got to say, if, if Jackie Chen was in porn, I would probably watch porn more. I mean, and, to be fair, this movie he calls pornographic is about as lewd as like NYPD Blue or something like that. Like, it's, it's not even. It's not even. That's not hot. This level. No, that's not, not attractive. No, it's really not. Oh, there has to be some sort of micro uh, set of people that have watched NYPD Blue and beat themselves off to it. That's fair. It just, it, <laughs> I didn't have that thought. That thought was put in my head by Liam. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> I'm not so happy so I have these thoughts. So he's an oily maniac is what we're saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 huh. So you, you alluded to all of the rape in it. Yeah. This is something that pops up quite a bit in these, and it's especially disconcerting and jarring when it's in a movie that's really just kind of silly otherwise yeah it's just yeah it's like a monster movie but they just they, they threw in a, a bunch of like if there's a girl in there they they're probably getting raped that's what the blood island movies are like <laughs> that is true that is true is but this yeah. your favorite kind of movie, a rubber costume man, and just copious? It man. might be, because I, I actually did love this movie, and I thought it was a whole lot of fun. I could picture myself sitting here watching it with you and all of your cues to laughter. I knew everywhere you would laugh. <laughs> so, 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 wait, so the difference between this and the Blood Island movies, etc., that you enjoy, and Beast of the Yellow Knight, is that... In Beast of the Yellow Knight, there is no rubber costume. Uh, yeah, that's that's fair point. Fair point. <laughs> Beast okay. of the Yellow Knight is no. Okay. Now, yeah. now I now I, I understand your position in this mm -hmm. argument. Yeah, it's unfolding. Yeah, Joe, I'm I'm my brain is hemorrhaging over here. I think you solved a, a puzzle. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I dig uh, rubber costumes. <laughs> <laughs> I particularly like with this rubber costume that um, he alternates between um, I'm having trouble moving in a weird Gumby way to <laughs> I'm doing Kung Fu. Like, oh, he's yeah. like, I can barely walk, but then watch me run from roof to roof and jump like uh, I'm doing some, some sort of early parkour. <laughs> and then well. up, up close, he's like, oh, I can't move my arms. And you're like, wait, what's going on? There was an amazing shot where I think it was reverse. I did they do a lot of reverse motion in this movie, but like there was one in particular where they it was a long shot where he jumped down from a ledge and or he was ran up to a ledge and jumped up it. But like that running up to the ledge looks so awkward because I guess he was running back in in real life and so like right. running backwards. But it worked because he's like some oily fucking monster and like that's okay. <laughs> Don't you call him that. He's a maniac, and you know it. <laughs> it. Let it be heard here. He's not doing kung fu. He's doing weird Gumby stumbling and then wuxia and just flying. He's just jumping and flying, and parkour, yeah. parkour is there. The he turns into a puddle. The scene with the swordsman, he has a few times where he's doing a little bit of leg and arm work that's a little more <laughs> that makes sense for a guy who has trouble moving around. That's true. That is true. 
I hope that this is one of those instances where the Shaw brothers uh, demanded their actors do their own stunts. So it is just Danny Lee in a rubber suit running around. Really? I I, I hope. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it is. Saying I just he hope. hopes. <laughs> do we have hey. like, any knowledge of which brother was more prone to doing that? Like, is Run Run the guy who makes everybody do their own stunts? Are they not both bastards? Or am I? Is Run Run the the, the shitty guy? Uh, I, I, as far as I know, they're both bastards. I just, you know, they might just have a different method of operation. I don't, I don't know the the intricacies of that though. Shaw Brothers Doesn't... movies are, are like a mystery to me. Like I've seen so many of them, and I still don't feel like I understand anything about <laughs> how they were made or who was behind them. There's one thing that always bums me out about uh, Shaw Brothers movies, and I don't have an answer for, but they, I think, are frequently shot with Cantonese-speaking casts, where we'll have, like, an, like whenever they have an urban movie, it's it's definitely a Cantonese cast, mm-hmm. but it's dubbed in Mandarin, right? and I don't know why, and I wish I did know why. I can tell you why. Why? Okay, so... So, as you pointed out, they're usually shot in Cantonese, but they get um, Mandarin dubs because that was the standard in Hong Kong until the early 1990s due to actors from different backgrounds being used. I guess because Mandarin is the more widespread one that was sort of just square peg round hold into being the the standard until that point um right some actors Cause, cause mandarin's okay, the ahead. language of uh, mandarin's the language of, of mainland china yes some actors apparently learned mandarin later like uh jackie chan learned mandarin later and he apparently gets complimented because his mandarin is is said to be very good Whereas Chow Yun Fat apparently gets uh, lambasted in China for his terrible Mandarin. <laughs> ah, like well, when Crouching Tiger uh, came out, that was like a thing in China. Was how awful his Mandarin was. That's funny. I, th- I think the the switching the language thing was part of the story. I was reading like sort of a, the rise of the Shaw Brothers story, and they were one of the first studios to. Uh, I think switch from Mandarin to Cantonese. I, I always get the two confused, but basically they were one of the first studios that were like, if we make movies that the uh, let's call it diaspora can, can engage more easily, then that's actually going to be more money than if we rely on mainland China as our primary audience. And so they started making films that were uh, more accessible to the majority of folks living outside of mainland China. Hmm. Wow! Wow! Man, so th- I would have just assumed Cantonese would have been more accessible to people living outside of mainland China instead of uh, no. I think that's, Mandarin. I'm trying to I, again. I always get them confused. But I, the part I, of the article was that there was something that most studios were doing, and then they were switching that uh, that formula. Well, it, I think it, it, it makes sense because I think that most. So Hong Kong has been uh, Cantonese, yes. and I yes. think the switch to, to Mandarin is because its popularity, not just mainland China, but abroad, Mandarin is the more spoken language. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So instead of just for Hong Kong, they were yeah. reaching out. I just remember the right. switch was important because it was specifically reading about um, 
the explosion in in 73 and they were saying that like the the beginning of uh the Shaw Brothers films getting more of an international audience was when they started changing the language up uh and, and that started to lead to what eventually became the 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 summer of kung fu in 73 wow you heard it here first, folks. You didn't hear it here anywhere else. I mean, that's all someone else's work in a book I read to get ready to present. You know, I was introducing. Uh, I was introducing. Uh, I don't even. Oh, King Boxer. I was introducing King Boxer at something. Oh. I was like, let me go ahead and read this about King Boxer, and I ended up reading the whole book because it was so good. That's a, a nice thing. Like when you like, you you pick up a book to, like for for reference material, and then you find out that the book is actually really good, and you end up reading the whole book without meaning to. Yeah. 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 Joe, do you have something like that? I don't read books anymore. It's been a while <laughs> since since I've actually read a book. Same here, actually. I need. To I more. only read. Mm. I just stopped watching movies, and now I just read. You're reviewing all the no- <laughs> I was going to say you're reviewing all the novelizations on this podcast. This <laughs> no, better. I'm I'm learning about UFOs. I would I would love to see the novelization of the oily maniac and see what what interesting uh, extra subplots were put into it. I would hate it because we would get all of his internal incel dialogue about him <laughs> hating all the sexy women around him. He is such an incel. And it turns from revenge to just he is an incel and he can't date and he's just bad at it. And it's not because he can't date because he's not only not that skilled, but he's they use the crippled element to be his arc. Well, they want to remind you part of the reason he can get away with being the oily maniac is that throughout the (laughs) film, people are like, it can't be him. Yeah, it can't be that gentleman because he's differently abled. Yeah. So uh, they say horrible things about him, actually. Like, like it's it's. And I think part of that is to justify his like his raging out every night and murdering people. You, you, you're supposed to feel a little bit bad for him because everyone does kind of disrespect him so much. But the thing with the various women in his life, it just doesn't play at all. And, and, and maybe it was different for the original audience. Like maybe they're watching it being like, yeah, if you really feel bad for this oily guy, you know, like he's, <laughs> he just wants love and, you know, he has to resort to murder instead. But me watching it i was like if he had the same level of murderous outrage but it was less at uh people who have sex and more at i don't know authority figures this movie would have been an all-around good time for me Um, uh, maybe a little less rapey too if he took out the rape and the incel then i think this movie is almost perfect like dude running around a rubber suit murdering people it's great, you know. Mm. The, the fact that he has to put oil on himself to actually be the oily maniac, such a dumb detail. I love it. Every time he does it, you're like, I love when he goes to the construction workers. He's just like, I'm going to get in this oil. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Guy, what are you doing? Don't do that. Oh, he's doing it. Yeah. Should we stop him? Oh, no, he's getting in there. <laughs> I, I laugh out loud when I, I see I that. Yeah, that's I just feel hilarious. Like one of those guys at least was like, yo. I bet he's the oily ma- Oh, he is the oily maniac. I was right. <laughs> I knew it. I knew he was the oily what? maniac. Well, a- am, am I wrong that the police started using the phrase oily maniac before there were any actual like living witnesses of the maniac? It's the first witness. Uh, um, and I, he was like the sketchy dude that's having sex with the woman who I think uh, I can't recall what 
pissed him off, but he it's when he pulls the bath, the swamp thing bath stunt, and he just comes through the bath and kills the woman, and he busts through the door, and there's the man in bed, and he goes, no, spare me, please spare me, which is a weird thing to say to a strange oil monster that you've never even conceived before. <laughs> uh, and then he stomps out, and then that guy gets arrested, and I think the implication is that he was like, no, no, it wasn't me. It was the oily maniac. Mm-hmm. And then someone offers to him, like, now I think maybe you saw a ghost. Like, that's the more plausible <laughs> explanation for what happened. Yeah, like, I imagine the police, like, anything weird comes up, they're like, now, just for the sake of argument, could it have been a ghost? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it, was, it was a ghost. Okay, we're done here. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Anybody happen to know what the suit was, it was like, constructed from i'm just wondering if anybody has that because i looked and i couldn't find it (laughs) (laughs) it was right under my nose the whole time it's good that they established that uh at the very beginning of the movie this story is a rewrite of the nanyang tall tale it bears the moral that justice does prevail the film was shot extensively in malaysia and our story begins in a coconut oil garage (laughs) I'm not really familiar with what coconut oil is used for and why there's like a giant factory making it. Can we talk about how the oily maniac turns into oil and then uh, travels around as an oil slick and then the music that plays while the oily maniac is traveling around (laughs) as an oil slick? (laughs) Why, what's the music here? It is so... It it is so reminiscent of like a, like a star like almost like a Jaws soundtrack you know like that oh yeah sort of thing it's like a ja 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 and I was like wow they really want you to feel menaced by this uh, weird special <laughs> effect of the oil slick like it's so weird looking like I, I I legitimately find the suit more impressive than this oil slick thing. Uh, that that he travels around in, but but uh, it, it seems so weird. Like I feel like if I could travel around in an oil slick, I would do that more often than shamble around as a weird shambly thing. Like I think I would do the oil slick, John, a lot more often. But what if you have to stomp on skulls of doctors who practice malpractice? Oh yeah, I think it, you don't have to spend a lot of time in solid form to do that. I think I would go right back into the slick. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong in thinking that character maybe got it a little aggressively and unjustly? No, I was gonna ask that. Like, I just I thought she was this, like there was a a terrible accident that happened with one of her procedures, but the real bad guy was the uh, the the lawyer taking advantage of everyone, right? And what was going on with the burnt breast? What the hell was? I don't that? know what kind of procedure does well, that. But yeah, yeah, what procedure? <laughs> but I mean, this is this is part of the issue, right? Like, okay, so when he kills that woman and lets the dude and doesn't kill the dude, or when he cut that that medical procedure, doesn't the pimp guy get away? Yeah, he kills all the women in the in the surgical room. But the the to me, the real villain of this situation is like, yo, I'm out, and it gets away. Yeah, that's weird. That's a weird thing. The pimp is having this girl get her hymen reconstructed or something. Is that what was going yeah. on there? Was that what that guy did? He was a he was like a. I mean, pimp? if you're 
if you're forcing if you're paying for someone slightly against their will to have their hymen reconstructed you're probably especially when you say because a customer complained you're probably not their husband but you're right yeah. he might have been her boyfriend. <laughs> i i completely missed that i must have looked away from the screen i didn't gather that at all he specifically said her hymen was being reconstructed yeah but also her breast had been melted no this was a different girl no this is this was in the surgery room that's who's getting killed there's a girl in there she's having her hymen reconstructed specifically with the instructions i could tell because her legs were just up yeah that shot is the most brilliant shot i've ever seen in a movie he specifically says she didn't bleed enough last time, so you need to do a better job. Yeah, and that was all the clue to be like, oh, right. <laughs> ah, it must have been one of those those, those moments. In yeah, subtitled movies. And then he murders everyone in the room. Yeah, like the nurse, even the nurses. The, I don't know if he murders the patient, but like I know when he breaks into the room, she's on the operating table, and he just flips that shit over, and I just remember laughing really hard. <laughs> he, he stomps on the doctor's head so hard. Yeah, that was really gory. Yeah, it was a it's quick so shot. Brief. Yeah, yeah, super specific, super gory, super brief, super obscured. That I, I think that's like the kind of effective gore in a movie is when it's just like your brain can only half process yeah. how brutal it is, but knows that it's brutal. I, I didn't like that at all. It's like, wait, what? Also, that whole scam that was involved in that character's death, like, that character came out of nowhere, right? Or unless I'm confused. What, the girl with Which, the uh, burnt boob? Partic- well, yes, her and the doctor kind of just emerged from the sidelines in ways that I was not paying attention to narratively. And then suddenly they have a very specific... There's just... This movie takes a sharp left turn to explore the corruption of the lawyer character, where there's it's almost a bit where he cons both of them, and it, I was really interested in that. I liked how that played out. Yeah, there's a lot of I, steps for that uh, con to play out. There really were, and it was interesting that this movie took a moment to to unpack that for us. I think eh? they're just setting up the arch villainy of the of the lawyer. Um, but you know, making sure that there's plenty of time for the oily maniac to murder some other side character women before he gets to this lawyer dude. But in a sense, that makes sense because the lawyer has now sort of uh, negotiated the great betrayal of the film, which was sort of the surprise. I don't. I mean, maybe it wasn't for you guys, but the act, the ultimate betrayal of the film, was a little bit of a surprise for me. I kind of thought the whole film was just going to be the oily maniac has various people. He either actually has beef with or he just doesn't seem to like them very much yeah (laughs) Um, but then when there's an ultimate betrayal it's like okay at least now there's some reason for him to have this power of murdering people because there's an actual thing he's upset about whereas prior it's just like i'm just gonna kill all these people they just they don't seem good i guess i'll kill them yeah well i i what was the god damn it i couldn't track the narrative all right, I'm going to say this. I love Hong Kong in Chinese horror movies and genre movies and exploitation movies, and I particularly love them because I never know what I'm getting in for. They take breakneck turns at every at, at, at moments I'm not prepared for because I think it's something there has to be something cultural between western ideologies of viewing something and eastern, and we're just not used to those methods of storytelling that then when applied to the exploitation genres that we know and love, that shock and awe becomes particularly disorienting. And I maybe I'm pr- 
being paranoid, but that's one thing I love about these movies. Still, though, I never know what's going on. The fight at the Coconut John where Uncle What's-His-Name stabs a guy. <laughs> that whole thing was a setup. That was all the that was Uncle all the doke. Yeah. That was all the old okie doke. That was the old okie doke to get Uncle Boss so that Johnny No Good could get control of the of the factory. Right. That was all that was all a setup, man. It's From, just a scam. So like that whole original fight, I was like, Well, this seems I don't know where this is going. I don't know why any of this matters. And then the movie turns around on me and it's like, actually, that mattered the most of all of these random killings. <laughs> of, of, this movie. of course, the fix set mattered. up in the first act. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We can never fully, as like a Western audience, I don't know if we could ever fully unpack these movies until we've seen the whole movie. I feel pretty good about it. The only part was when he actually just dug a hole in his apartment and then there was oil and yeah. he became the oily maniac. <laughs> yeah. That, that. Everything, everything else, I was like tracking with it. And then when that actually happened, I thought, well, this is the cultural moment that clearly is not meant for me, but I'm going to move forward and just accept what's happening and I don't need to understand it. Well, you know what they say. What? Stop digging. You've struck oil. Stop. <laughs> they had a movie called The Oily Maniac, and they're like, we're done. This is great. I I, I got caught up with researching the uh, Sugar Hill that I didn't get any moment to unpack what the uh, the story of the Nanyang tale was, or the Nanyang tall tale. In Malay ghost beliefs, the Orang Minyak is a supernatural creature coated in shiny black grease who abducts young women by night. Uh, it literally means oily man in Malay. And then if you go down the page to legends, it gives you several iterations that have popped up over the years. Wow. According to Malay legend, Orang Minyak is a creature that talks about, Yeah, we got that. Supposedly, the creature is able to climb walls and grab victims while evading capture due to its slippery coating. According to some folklorists, the Orang Minyak is alternately described as appearing naked or wearing a black pair of swimming trunks. <laughs> Which wait wait doesn't this guy do that like Why? when he when he turns back into a man he has like black shorts on or black pants on always does he I thought so yeah I think that's right so that's weird I can't believe this was I thought that this was movie was so bizarre it was just completely made up but this is actually some folklore thing that's amazing at what point in the legend does it say that he's an incel who hates women <laughs> that's just what I want to know if that's well yeah. um. <laughs> <laughs> the the kidnapping women part, maybe? I don't know. A number of stories describe the Orang Minyak as a rapist that targets only virgins. The Orang Minyak has been traditionally blamed for rapes beginning in the 50s, and superstitious Malay female students would attempt to ward off the creature by donning sweaty clothing to give the appearance of someone who had just been with a man. Whoa. That's so bizarrely specific. <laughs> yes. I do like that this movie actually kind of like classed up the legend a little bit. Like I'm thinking like it took a legend and then tried to give it like a creepy edge. But actually this movie kind of made uh, what's a pretty upsetting folklore a little more fun. <laughs> That is true. That is true. That's pretty good. Um, I, I, I was not expecting that. <laughs> ah, yeah, knowledge. We're about it. The, 
Yo, oh my god, this movie has so many good rubber man suit gags and like guy that turns into oil gags. This movie is just a roller coaster of amazing gags like that. He, he's spitting I, oil at some moments. Shows up in a bathtub. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think it's a little though. Uh, I think we need to talk about Chekhov's beating heart in the sense oh, that <laughs> that was on my mind this entire time, like the entire movie as well. Chekhov right. had a gun. Right. The Tin Man had a heart. <laughs> well, yeah. I just mean in the sense of like they never really capitalize on it the way that I think they will. And I get it that this is pre-video games, so people <laughs> mm. are less inclined to just stab something that's shiny and beating. <laughs> but I just feel like in most cultures, if you have a beating red thing over yeah. the heart area, you just go, Well, I'm just gonna shoot that. I yeah. mean, at least it's you can at least see it. The rest of him is literally oil black. So you'd think like, well, just shoot the red part, but it, they really don't. Yeah, that, that looks abnormal. Really that play. never happens. They even zoom in on it every time it starts beating, and I'm like, Well, that's getting stabbed or something eventually. The way that they keep showing it to you, I, again, I guess part of where I will definitely agree with you, Ryan, on this cultural thing is um are we supposed to be rooting for the oily maniac in this movie, or is he a tr- is he a is he a villain, or is he a tragic villain, or is he a tragic hero? And that's pretty important for me to understand the vibe of the movie. And one of the aspects, it's a small one, that got to me about that was the heart thing because the way they keep showing you the heart, it doesn't feel like, hey, look, here's the weak spot. Hopefully, one of our folks will stab it and then we'll be done with this horrible monster instead it's like every time he goes in to do something you're like i hope no one gets that heart man i'm feeling really anxious about the oily maniac's heart and i'm like wait am i supposed to be rooting for the oily maniac because i don't think i am i think i'm not rooting for him yeah in the end uh his his like little love interest or the girl who has a crush on him doesn't root for him either and she just (laughs) ends up getting him killed I don't know if she ends up getting him killed. Well, she kills him. Maybe his that yeah, that does the that's what I was getting at. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, does she though? Like uh, yeah, she sets him on he, fire. Yeah. No, no, I know, I know, but that like didn't she brought the cops? Yeah, she, she, that's she, what she I'm easily. Yeah, she could have easily not gotten the cops involved. I think she. I mean, I think when she gets the cops involved, her her thought is like maybe that will save him but she has to know like there's really not much you can do at that point you know there, there's not really a solution the 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 cops uh, you know it's it's pretty interesting to think about it in in the context of talking about policing in general because this film is really clear like the only thing the police can do is see him and immediately open fire like they just are like look it's the thing bang 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 you know no one stops to go Maybe we should talk it out. I don't know. Maybe he needs a counselor or something. I'm, I'm not sure. That's not on the table, man. There's a scary oil monster. They're just going to shoot it. Not in the heart, of course, but, you know, in <laughs> other parts of the body. That is true. There's a lot to say about this one. I tried. This. Can anybody explain to me what was going on in the court scene? And then also, we need to talk about their wigs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't they do that in a lot of court systems uh, with the uh, with the wigs? Like not just here. Yeah, I, I know that's big in the UK. What? But but why? They're oh, they don't do that here. Never mind. Forget what. Yeah, I said. we don't we don't do that. <laughs> so I I think it, we don't understand that. I, I found it very. I didn't know what was going on or who the characters were entirely or what because that seemed to spawn the bathtub killing after that. 
I, I didn't. I did anyone know what was going on there or who was? I think the suggestion is that again another area where this movie is more than a little problematic is that uh, she's not telling the truth. She worked with the lawyer to nail that guy for something that didn't happen. Like that's why she's one of the people who needs to get got by the oily maniac because that's the linchpin. But he didn't yeah, know yeah. the lawyer was bad yet. I think that's where he starts to be like, wait a minute. Yeah, he suspects boss, it for sure. Maybe my boss is a jerk off. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Meng, Meng Hua Ho. Meng Hua Ho directed this movie. Also directed Black Magic, Black Magic 2, Flying Guillotine, and The Mighty, P- the Mighty Peking Man under the name as Corner Gao. But I, we, That's so a pretty it's, solid uh, filmography right there. Well, it's fucked up. Whenever we like look into, whenever we watch a Shaw Brothers movie or anything, we never really associate who directed them, and that's kind of that's bad. We sh- we should know. Yeah. No, that's right. And it, he has a very solid. He has hunt. He has dozens and dozens of movies, but those are all genre classics that we've all seen and like a lot. Yeah, I feel like um, with Shaw Brothers movies, I always recognize like Cheng Che or um, Run Run Shaw. Those are the ones that always kind of pop out to me. Actually, I thought this one was directed by Run Run Shaw, and I guess, yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, yeah he, it's, he, he, he just produced this one. Yeah, his name was, like, huge, though. Yeah. <laughs> and the credit sequence. So. Yeah. <laughs> why Why did they kill Little Yo? Uh, little You? Little You, I think. Who's Little You? His sister? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think they killed Or, or his cousin? No, who gets who, who got killed in the factory? With the, with the hook? The hook? Yeah. yeah. She kills herself, I think. What? She realizes the guy who she fell in love with and wants to marry just basically sold her off to this like mob, uh, right. head mob guy, and so she just decides to cut her, slit her own throat with this hook. Yeah, that was after the, uh, the rape scene. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I, I got to say, I appreciate all of you. I'm, I'm happy that there are people <laughs> that can hold my hands through this type of story <laughs> it's all good it it is it is a very zigzaggy narrative to go through there's a lot going on they're, they're always like that though like all like these like the Shaw brothers movies are all the time are very complicated and a lot of moving parts and all the time stuff to piece together and then sometimes at the end you get like it comes together and you're like, oh, OK. Mm. And then other times you're just still like, I really like that movie, but I wish I understood what happened. Yeah, yeah that, can, that, that can happen here a little bit with this one. But oily maniac monster man running around, <clears throat> turning into puddles, reappearing places, growing limbs. Love it. Ah! Yeah. Oh, I've definitely heard that scream before in other ah! movies. Yeah, it's like, some proto uh, uh, Wilhelm scream or something. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, it's definitely shown up in other Shaw Brothers movies, and I was trying to figure out where. But like he that that scream identical in other movies. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else to say? Do a little thumbs up around, like go around yeah. and see. Joe, you go first this time. It's a. Th- I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I remember liking this before, 
but this time I watched it and I kind of felt like I didn't enjoy it as much this time. Oh, really? Okay. I still, I think I'm still going to give it a thumbs up, but, you know, with reservations, I guess. Liam, what you Andrew? thinking? Yeah, let's do Liam. Oh, um, a qualified thumbs up. I think that uh, it has all the markings of a really fun, ridiculous movie. And then it just has a little bit of like a, uh, you know, between the Willy Maniac just really getting mad at women first and killing them when there's plenty of bad men around for him to kill that he doesn't get to right away. Uh, plus the, you know, the rapiness of the whole thing. Um, it, it, it's a little bit of a tinge of like, nah, I don't love all that. But it didn't ruin the movie for me. And the parts that aren't that, that's just him being the oily maniac murdering people that's great like just just the the suit guy is murdering folks like that's fun it's yeah. just when you're like <laughs> yeah all of that is a lot of fun and, and i like that um i just think you know i don't understand the decision to be like yeah so uh he comes in here and he murders all these ladies and then uh this real terrible pimp that's outside he's fine he gets away that's good uh, let's move on to the next scene. And I'm like, uh, what? Get that guy too. Why did he kill that guy too? I don't understand. So stuff like that kind of annoyed me a little bit. But still, I think unless you're super sensitive to that sort of thing, I think you're still going to have a good time. I, don't, I think it's more fun than gross. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to say I give this movie a thumbs up. Like, uh, enjoyed myself thoroughly. Yeah, I actually didn't really. I couldn't really put my finger on on what was going on with the whole incel thing until you guys pointed it out. But it does make a lot of sense, and it does kind of change my like my opinion about the movie. But at the same time, I'm just there for the monster kills and and the the zaniness of of the oily maniac. And so, thumbs up. Well, I Ryan. guess it's my turn. Yes, Ryan, go give us your opinion. <laughs> Uh, talk thumbs- or whatever <laughs> thumbs up I, I i love this kind of movie i never i i'm in, i i don't know if it's i mean i'm yeah no i'm openly ignorant i'm a stupid person i don't understand other cultures in the way that they do i i, I have a difficult time tracking a lot of hong kong narratives as much as i love the movies but part of that contributes to what I love about them, which is they I am able to go on a journey that my brain can't comprehend. Uh, and it, it makes turns when I least expect them. And it, it has just different ebbs and flows all around. Big thumbs up for me here. Uh, it's it's uncomfortable, but it's also massively fun and stupid. It's, it's a party movie. Hell yeah. Between the I, two, who wins? Hmm. Oh, no. I mean, for me, it's got to be Sugar Hill. There's just no. That's that for me is a classic. This is fun, and I enjoyed it. But I'll, I'll definitely return to Sugar Hill before I return to this. Agreed on my part, Andrew. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree as well. Um, yeah, Sugar Hill was was an awesome movie. I think that wins tonight. Well, I'm that asshole. You're gonna go <laughs> with the Whaley. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Whaley Maniac, and it, it's very particularly because of what Liam said about the suspense issue. Uh, Oily Maniac, there is, it isn't much suspenseful, but it's, such, it's, it's culturally a different experience. While there's no question, uh, Sugar Hill is such, a, it's, it's such a, an important movie to film history. Like that it's just literally first b- b- black female lead in a movie. 
and you can't argue that unless you want to say Pam Greer from Scream, Blackula Scream. Uh, but yeah, Oily Maniac just because of its tempo. Okay. That's fine. It's actually kind of a tough choice on these two for me. So, If you want to be wrong, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, Liam, tell, tell our, our, our listeners where they find you. Oh, sure. So um, I have a t-shirt company called Rough Cut Fan Club uh, that people should check out uh, our website, uh, which is roughcuttshirts.com, or uh, find us on Instagram. Um, I'm trying to think, by the time this comes out, I don't know what our next thing is going to be, actually, because we just changed it up. So, yeah, I wish I had a good preview to say what it's going to be next, but I, I actually don't know because we just changed the plan. But I, but I will say we'll, we'll at least have the Choose Your Own Adventure. Uh, I think if, if Evil Dead wins, we'll probably do uh, Ghost House with it, uh, since technically the La Casa movies are sequels to Evil Dead. Uh, that's where mm-hmm. they got the name from. Um, they can also, uh, if you're interested, check out Cinepunks.com. I have uh, I'm on three podcasts on the Cinepunks network. So the show that kind of started it all off, uh, the 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 name of the whole network, and then uh, horror business, uh, and then there's a newer one called uh, Cinema Smorgasbord uh, that is like very much um, shifting gears every episode to like a. a, a basically we couldn't pick a a like a one theme for the show so we basically created like 12 different shows so each new episode of cinema smorgasbord it's like the a different show you know so anyways um check those out at cinepunks.com that's p-o-n-x and you can follow cinepunks on social media all spelled c-i-n-e p-o-n-x uh we're on all the johns so check us out Look at that, Andrew. We're not the only ones that do that. Yeah. What, social media? No, it's weird. <laughs> a lot of people do it. <laughs> uh, ah. <laughs> you can find us at latenightpsychorama at gmail.com. Well, you can contact us that way. And you can find us uh, on Instagram and uh, Facebook, I believe. Still there somewhere. Night is spelled N-I-T-E. <laughs> seriously if, if if you liked liam's contribution here definitely check out cinepunks it's really cool also i wasn't lying when i said i replaced all of my clothes with rough cut t-shirt so that's a thing uh if you like us or our last wave of guests or even if you half liked us anytime you like us on social media anytime you subscribe to us it has proven to be very helpful and we love you for that so thank you so much uh, I'd also like to give a big shout out to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, who hosts a lot of great discussions about uh, movies and stuff, including our good friends, uh, Customers Also Watched. Thank you. All right, before we get out of here, our next episode, we are going to be doing Deranged and Tenement. And our guest will be writer and critic and co-host of the Daughters of Darkness podcast, Sam Deegan. We are going to be doing deranged. <laughs> it will doing. be done done by us and a friend. <laughs> doing it, Dawn. doing it, and doing it well. <laughs> Liam, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate that. I, I love your podcast. I would... I. Say what's up. You're cool. 
<laughs> hey, thanks so much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and it was a cool chance to talk about actually two random movies. I don't think I've ever had a combo this random before. It's really great. It's what we do around here. It's our thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. All right. See you next time. Get out of here. Bye. Bye.